Amen. <clears throat> well, today I want to talk about Joshua again. Last week we talked about Joshua and Caleb, two of the spies that said, hey, God has given us the land, let's go in and conquer it. The other ten said, no, we can't, we don't have the strength to overcome the giants in the land. They didn't believe that God was able to give them the victory, but Joshua and Caleb did. And I, I want to talk about Joshua because he's a major transitional figure in the history of Israel. He's a major figure in the story of salvation, your story and my story. And I want to talk about how he was an amazing follower. You know, you, you hear a lot of seminars about leadership, right? If you go on the internet today and you wanted to find a seminar on being a great leader, you could find them. There's many of them. But today I want to talk about great leadership. I don't want to talk about being a great leader. What I want to talk about is being a great follower, great followership, to be the kind of follower that God wants us to be. That, that's what I see in Joshua. Joshua was a, an assistant to Moses for more than 40 years. There's no indication in the Bible of him rebelling against Moses' leadership, of him ever complaining, of him ever looking at circumstances and being angry and discontent with God. And I, I, I have always appreciated Joshua's followership. In fact, uh, I believe this, great leaders start off as being great followers. Great leaders start off as being great followers. Now, there may be people that have been influencers that were never great followers. But I would challenge the premise that they were great leaders if they've never been a great follower. And I, I, I believe in the Bible, that's what really ultimately Christianity is all about, amen? Jesus didn't say, come and lead with me, right? He didn't say that. He said, come and what? Follow me. Come and follow me. I know the challenge for my life, and I would expect maybe the challenge for your life is to be a great follower. And knowing that when I'm a teammate with someone in a ministry and someone is in a leadership position above me, that God wants me to be a great follower. Luke 6, 46, Jesus asked this question. And Jesus had the ability to ask very poignant questions, didn't he? Throughout his ministry, he was able to ask powerful questions. This is one of them. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? See, Jesus is addressing that very issue. Great followership. I'm looking for great followers. People that make the logical connection and say, if Jesus is God, if he died on the cross and rose again, that gives his words power. And therefore, if his words have authority, then it makes sense that I would follow him. But so often we don't. We're not being great followers. We need to develop our followership. Not our leadership, our followership. The bottom line of today's message is this. Joshua lays the foundation for greatness as a leader by being a faithful, great Follower. Now let me review what we've kind of studied already, a summary of Genesis and Deuteronomy. We know in the very beginning we began with Adam and Eve, right, as we have been walking through the chronological history of the Old Testament, highlighting the major people of the redemptive story of God. And Genesis brought Abraham into the promised land. 
And at the very end of Genesis, we see the Jews moving down to Egypt because there's a famine in the land, but Joseph is second in command in Egypt and has plenty of food for the 70 Jews that moved down to Egypt. But the book of Exodus, if we look at it geographically, most of the action occurs in the land of Egypt until they exit out of Egypt. That's what the book of Exodus is all about. They make their way to Mount Sinai, represented by that yellow dot on the screen. And there we find a majority of the book of Leviticus is given as instructions to the Levites regarding how to worship God and how to celebrate uh, uh, their God and how to have community with one another is given in the book of Leviticus. And that geographically is located at Mount Sinai. Last week we talked about the fact that the book of Numbers is called the book of Numbers because at the very beginning of the book of Numbers at Mount Sinai, they take a census. They count the number of people that are at Mount Sinai. That's where we get the number 2 million. And at the very end, before they enter the promised land, they count the people again. So that book is called the book of Numbers. But in between is the wanderings of the nation of Israel, the people of Israel in the wilderness. So the book of Numbers is the book that begins at Mount Sinai. They moved up north to Kadesh Barnea. Last week we talked about Kadesh Barnea where they sent out the 12 spies to spy out the land. That happened at Kadesh Barnea. But they failed the test of God. God was testing them. Do you have the faith to believe I can give you the victory? We said last week that we need to believe as we pray that God is able, not obligated to do what we pray. That uh, God encourages us to pray, pray the desires of our hearts. But there are times when our desires might not match God's desires or God's plan. And so the bottom line is always, God, I believe without a shadow of a doubt that you are able, but you're not obligated to do what I pray. We've all experienced that. We've, uh, I, I would imagine some of you would, ex- would have experienced in your past things that you would have considered miracles. Where God answered prayer, and God is a God of miracles. I certainly have uh, experienced that in my life. But there have been times I've prayed for things that I have not been given a yes answer. God answered them with a no or a wait, but not a yes. And that's when in my heart I need to say, God, not my will, but thy will be done. I submit myself to your will. So the Israelites, after failing God's test, not believing God is able to give them the victory, they wander for 40 years in the wilderness. You can see that on the, see that wandering on the wilderness in the screen there? Isn't that beautiful? And they end up at Moab after 40 years of wandering. God says, the generation that doubted my ability to give the victory in the promised land will die in the wilderness, in the desert, and the next generation will conquer the land. So before Moses dies, in the book of Deuteronomy, he reteaches this next generation the law. The book of Deuteronomy is formed, the name is formed by pushing two Greek words together, deuteros and namas. Deuteros meaning second, namas meaning law. It's a second teaching of the law. It's not a second different law. He reteaches the law that God gave them 40 years earlier At Mount Sinai, he does that at Moab, gives three long sermons, and then he dies. The people don't die from the sermons. Moses dies after the sermons. In the book of Deuteronomy, 
He is not allowed to enter the land. But Joshua, this faithful follower for 40 years, becomes the new leader of the Israelites. And by faith, he goes in and conquers the land. His followership led him to be a great leader when he conquers the promised land for the people of Israel. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. You know, when I think about being a, a faithful follower, I, I have often thought to myself, I wish I had been, I played basketball in college, and I wish I had been a coach before I was a player, right? I wish I'd been a coach before I was a player. Obviously, that can't really happen, but when I became a coach of a basketball team, I realized what I was looking for in the qualities of my players. I, I knew exactly what I wanted from my players, and, and I thought to myself, I wish I had known this as passionately when I was a player. I would have been a better player. I would have been a better follower of my coach's instructions. And that's what I love about Joshua. Uh, I'm going to read one of the stories of Joshua, of his followership. They had already uh, exited out of Egypt, and they're on their way to Mount Sinai. And they faced the Amalekites. It says this in verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So, Joseph, so Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up on the top of the hill. Now I don't know if you're like me, but here's Moses, the leader of the Israelites, and he says to Joshua, his assistant, Joshua, you go out and fight with the Amalekites. I'm going to be way up there on top of the hill watching. That would have been kind of tough for me. I would have said, wait a minute, Moses, you're our leader. We need you on the battlefield. Up on top of the hill doesn't do much good. Watching from a distance doesn't do much good. But there's no indication that Joshua struggles with this. Wait a minute, Moses, you're going with Aaron and her up on the top of the hill? I, we need you in the battle. Let's read on. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it while Aaron and her held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So it was Hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. See, Joshua may not have understood why Moses was going up on the hill, but after the battle, he realized it, that God had chosen this amazing display of his power. When Moses' hands were up, the Israelites prevailed. When his hands fell down, the Amalekites prevailed. Then, after the battle, Joshua understood why Moses needed to be up on the hill. But if it had been me, I would have complained. Hey, Moses, you're giving me the dirty job. You're giving me the tougher job. You're taking the easier job. You're going up on the top of the hill. See, uh, leadership for me, if you're going to be a great leader, we need to be great followers. I, I read this uh, statement in this book, The Art of Followership. I, I liked what it said. It said this, star followers for themselves are very active and have a positive energy. 
Some people view these people as leaders in disguise, but this is basically because these people have a hard time accepting that followers can display such positive behavior. Star followers are often referred to as my right-hand person or my go-to person. See, because Joshua was such a faithful follower, he did whatever Moses asked him to do without complaining. He was Moses' right-hand man, right-hand person, my go-to person, and became a powerful leader among the people of Israel. See, I want to say this right from the beginning, though. And I know what you're thinking. Mel, being a follower, uh, you know, that's sometimes very hard. And when I have to follow an imperfect person, sometimes that can be difficult. Let me explain what biblical followership is not as we look at more passages that talk about Joshua being a biblical follower. Biblical followership does not mean those who follow are inferior. doesn't mean that. Who did Jesus, by the way, submit to? He submitted to the leadership of whom? His father. People have said, oh, because of that submission to his father, that makes Jesus less than God. That's a a totally ignorant statement about what it means to be a follower. If I'm hired in a position at a company and I'm under the direction of another person, I'm not less human than, than the person who's my boss. It doesn't make me less human in my essence simply because I submit to the leadership of another person. So please don't make the mistake that Jesus is not God in the flesh simply because he submitted to the Father. It has nothing to do with the essence of who he is as a person. It has all to do with Jesus modeling for us what it means to be a follower. It doesn't mean you're inferior to those people that you are following. Biblical followership does not mean that those who follow lack insight, gifts, or good ideas. It doesn't mean that. See, people will often say, well, I, I, I don't want to follow. I want to be up in like the middle management or high management positions because I have the best ideas. You might, but there will be times when God will place you in a ministry under someone else's leadership. And, and of course, your ideas should be heard. But as a biblical follower, you submit to the leadership of that person you are under. Biblical followership does not mean that we must disobey God if we're told to by authorities. That doesn't mean that. In fact, that is the one time in Scripture when we're to disobey our authorities, when they tell us to do something that God tells us not to do, or when an authority tells us not to do something that God tells us to do. Then the Bible gives us all the authority to disobey those above us. In fact, uh, in the book of Acts, the disciples said, we must follow God rather than whom? Man, exactly. We don't follow man. If you tell us to do something that God tells us not to do, we're following God. We will disobey your authority. So, so biblical followership does not mean you have to blindly do everything they say. Biblical followership does not mean that we give unthinking, blind obedience without open communication. It doesn't mean we blindly follow our leaders. It does mean that we should, if we have suggestions, if we have helpful input, give that in a loving way to our leaders. That's what it means. If you're in a ministry right now and you're under the leadership of that ministry head, I want to tell you without a doubt that person wants your input and ideas if they're given in a constructive way, not in a critical way, a hateful way. 
Biblical followership does not mean that leaders should refuse feedback and discussion regarding church matters. Of course, that's not what it means. But what it does mean is this. There is a value when a team comes together of people saying, I will fall under the leadership of my ministry head, the person that's over me in this ministry, and I will support this leader unless this leader does something totally unbiblical. To be that biblical follower, right? That's what God is looking for. So here's... Point number one, to become a great leader, you must learn to be a great follower. So in Exodus chapter 17, here's the first lesson we learn. When a leader gives you the more difficult task, follow. If you're in a ministry and, and your leader says to you, hey, I want you to go out and I want you to take the garbage out of all the garbage cans. We just had an event here at church. Take out all the garbage from all the garbage cans in the church and bring it back to the dumpsters. Say, well, I don't want that task. Uh, that's how you do that. Uh, that's a dirty task. I don't want to be gathering up all the garbage. No, here's the heart of a follower. I'm part of this team. My leader has asked me to do something that will assist in the success of this team. I will do this task as a follower if my leader asks me to do it. See, in this fight with the Amalekites, Moses said, he didn't explain what was going on. He said, I'll be up on the hill. Joshua, you go out, risk your life against the Amalekites. I'll be up on the hill. No complaining from Joshua. No, no statement like, Moses, are, are, are you a coward? Why are you going to be up on the hill? He trusted his leader, and he followed his leader. Uh, I love what it says. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. He did exactly what his leader told him to do. Here's another characteristic of a great leader. When the role you're given seems insignificant, follow. In Exodus chapter 24, if you turn your Bibles there, Exodus chapter 24, they arrive at Mount Sinai. And God tells Moses to take Joshua with him up on the mountain. But Joshua is not allowed to go all the way up into the mountain. Moses goes the rest of the way. About halfway up, Joshua has to stop. And Moses goes up into the top of the mountain by himself. Anybody know for how long? How many days was he at Mount Sinai, the top of the mountain? Forty days, exactly. Joshua was alone for 40 days. He probably heard the rumblings. He knew something was going on between God and Moses. But he was alone halfway up on the mountain by himself for 40 Days. He might have wondered, why do I have to be here? This seems so insignificant. I want to be up where Moses is at. Or at least down with the people so I have some social interaction. But for 40 days, he was alone on the mountain. It says this on Exodus 24, 13. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua. And Moses went up into the mountain of God. See, he went up into the mountain alone, and Joshua was there for 40 days. And after the 40 days, of course, you know what happened. They came down from the mountain. When Joshua heard the noise of the people, as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is noise in, of war in the camp. But, but the lesson, I think, for Joshua here is this, that we can learn. When your role seems insignificant, follow. If you're given a role that seems insignificant, follow. 
I'm not sure what role you have in a ministry today. I'm not sure what your position is or how you're serving. But there may be times when you feel like my role is insignificant. But follow. Do what God has given you faithfully. Do that insignificant role in your eyes faithfully because it's awesome for me to see as a pastor how all of these different jobs that people do in the church come together in a beautiful way to make the body of Christ come alive. And I remember as a a young uh, teen, my my job, and it wasn't really a ministry, but uh, I did this at the church. My job was to go every Saturday and clean the church that we attended. I got a whopping $2 an hour from that job. And I would go every Saturday and clean the church. I'd set up the chairs, vacuum the carpets, uh, do all the things behind the scenes that no one ever really saw. But that was my job. And I remember thinking, you know, I don't get paid that much. No one sees what I do. But I want to tell you, that built this, uh, this quality in me that, Mel, do, you're doing this for God, ultimately. Yeah, the $2 help, right? But you're doing this for God. And when I started to get involved in ministries as a young teen and began to do things for my youth pastor or for others that were insignificant in my eyes, I, I realize now, looking back, what God was building into my heart. And that was this, hey, you're doing this for God ultimately. You're doing it for him. And all of these pieces fit together in a beautiful way to make the body of Christ come alive. So when Joshua comes down from the mountain, he hears what appears to be the sound of war in the camp. But we know that what was happening was there was rebellion among the people of Israel. They formed a golden calf. But Joshua remained faithful to Moses. You probably know the story, man. Uh, Joe Moses smashed two tablets of stone into the ground when he saw that they had formed a golden calf and were worshiping idols. Here's the third thing I see in Joshua. When others around you are being unfaithful, follow. When others around you are being faithful, unfaithful, follow. See, here's the reality. When Moses and Joshua came down from the camp, there was a whole group of people that had rebelled against God and Moses' leadership. They had rebelled against God and Moses' leadership. But Joshua remained faithful. Remained faithful to Moses. He didn't give in to the crowd. He didn't give in to what they were thinking. He supported Moses as Moses addressed the situation. If we turn to Numbers 11, here's another incident in uh, the life of Joshua. There were a group of people that began to prophesy. And Joshua saw that as undermining the leadership of Moses. And so uh, Moses, Joshua said this, Joshua, son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. Turn to Numbers 11, if you will, and see this. Genesis, Exodus, Numbers chapter 11. When uh, this group of people begin to prophesy. Go to verse 28. My Lord Moses, stop them from doing this. They're challenging your leadership in essence. I love what Moses said. But Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? 
Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Don't you love Moses' heart? He's not concerned about his position of being the only prophet in Israel. He would that every one of the people of God were close to God and were exercising their gift as prophets. He would love to have a people like that who had a connection with God. But Joshua was protecting his leader. Hey, these people I perceive as challenging your ministry, Moses. They're challenging your leadership. They're challenging your gift. But Moses corrects Joshua. Joshua, you're wrong. I would that every one of these individuals, every one of these followers of mine would be prophets for God. See, here's the lesson. When a leader corrects you, follow when a leader corrects you, follow. This is one of the most hardest, most difficult things for a follower to do. When you get corrected to receive it, what's the quality that's needed to uh, receive correction? Humility. You need humility, right? Now, there may be times when you've been corrected by a leader and you don't agree. I, I encourage everyone, if you don't agree with the correction of a leader, to say, you know, thank you for sharing that with me. I'm going to pray about that. And meditate on that, but thank you for sharing that with me. Receive it. Don't get defensive. Don't get angry. If a leader corrects you, now leaders, here's the lesson for a leader. Always correct in love, right? I always make it a rule if you're going to make a correction, don't do it via text. Don't do it via email. Uh, do it face-to-face, -face, if at all possible, so that person can see your love for them. That person can see your heart for them. Never correct over a text. They can't hear your love through a text. Never correct via an email. They can't hear your love via an email. In fact, the tendency will be to read anger into the text, to read anger into the email. So you always want to correct, and this is true of your kids as well, as much as possible, face to face, heart to heart. So as a leader, I want to always correct in love, right? Always. But if a leader corrects you, follow. Don't get defensive. Don't say, who are you telling me what to do? And what about you? You made a mistake last week in our ministry. You forgot to do this. So you have all these faults yourself. Don't correct me. See, that's the tendency, right? That's what we want to do. A faithful follower receives the correction of his or her leader. And Moses said, are you jealous for my sake? Joshua, stop. Don't be jealous for my sake. I would that all of these people were prophets. Here's another lesson of being a leader. When you think you would lead better, follow when you think you would lead better than the leader that's leading you, keep following. You know, you know what happened, right? When they spied out the land, we talked about it last week, they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Joshua could have said, hey, Moses is blowing it here. He's losing all of these people as his leader. I'll step up and be the leader that these people are looking for. He doesn't do that. He continues to follow Moses' leadership. Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And 
Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And then we jump down to verse 6. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the son of, uh, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had been spying out the land, tore their clothes. He remained faithful to Moses and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. See, Joshua kept supporting Moses. No hint of turning on Moses' leadership. He says this, do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. The protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. He supports Moses' leadership. Even when the crowd is against Moses, they were looking for a new leader. Joshua could have rebelled against Moses' leadership, but he didn't. He supported God and Moses in the process. See, I believe faithful followers do do not and should not have this attitude. Unless you can prove to me beyond a reasonable doubt that your leadership decisions are correct and best, I reserve the right to do it my way. That's not biblical followership. In fact, the Bible calls that rebellion. It calls it self-will. It calls it lawlessness. And God condemns that attitude. Unless you can prove to me, leader... That your decisions are best and correct, I will not follow you. I'll do it my way. That is not biblical followership. And if you've ever been on a team like I have been, a sports team, if you've ever been a part of a ministry team, let's say a missions team that went to a foreign land, it's amazing how one bad follower, one bad teammate can totally disrupt the unity of a team because of bad followership. See, I believe faithful followers have this attitude. Unless I can demonstrate from Scripture that you are wrong, I will defer my own preference, get behind your leadership, and help you to succeed. This is the attitude that enables leaders to lead with joy and which results in great profit for those who follow. See, obviously, if someone is leading in an unbiblical way, we need to take a stand against that. If someone is making a decision to do something that's unbiblical, we need to make a stand against that. But if that's not happening, then as a follower, and and I too am a follower, right? I am so thankful I am under the leadership of the elders. These are godly people that I know love me and love the church and love the Lord. I'm under their leadership. And they have been such a blessing to me. And how ridiculous would it be for me as a pastor to have the attitude that says, hey, unless you can prove to me, elders, that what you want to do is best, I'm not going to follow you. Of course not. That's not biblical followership. I I will defer my own preference and get behind the leadership of the group of individuals that God has called to lead. That's what God wants us to do as followers. Here's another thing I see in Joshua. It's this. When the unbelieving, unfaithful crowd around you is against you, follow. When the unbelieving unfaithful crowd around you is against you, follow. When uh, the Israelites heard what Joshua and Caleb wanted to do, let's go in and conquer the land because we believe God is able. This is what they said. Then all the congregation said to stone Joshua and Caleb with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. When everybody around you is unfaithful, keep following. Keep following. I was... uh, Yesterday, my son had a volleyball tournament, and 
Uh, he had to go at early in the morning, but he's also the FCA president at his high school. And he had a Fellowship of Christian Athletes event that he had planned on the beach for his high school and Sage Creek and another high school. And he said, Dad, I can't go to the volleyball tournament and reserve a fire pit at the beach for our event. So I said, you know what, you go to the volleyball tournament, I'll go at 6.30 in the morning and reserve a, a fire pit at Encinitas Beach for you. So I did that. It was kind of cool. I went there early in the morning, set up the tent, and got, was sitting there by myself. And all of a sudden, about 25 individuals came down to the beach. And they were all part, I soon discovered, of this exercise class. And these were people that looked pretty fit. And I'm sitting there having my cup of coffee, watching them exercise on my chair. And they're running up and back, back and forth. And this one leader gave them all these instructions. He said, okay, now I want you to, here, he drove three lines in the sand. Bear walk up to the one line, run back. Bear walk up to the second line, run back. Bear walk to the third line. Then I want you to do this. Take one of your teammates, put him on your back, carry him to the first line, carry him back, carry him to the second line, carry him. And he had them working to the point where they were just sweating. Here's the key thing. He did none of those exercises. None of them. And he was kind of overweight and out of shape. And I thought, wow, it's amazing how this whole team of individuals followed this guy perfectly. Whatever he told he could have asked them to roll on the ground like a worm. They would have done it. He had one exercise after another. Absolute, total leadership. And then I found out that this guy... Well, was a well-respected physical therapist, knowledgeable person that all of the whole team, and the name of the class, because I heard him talking to one of the people next to me that went up and said, what's this class all about? Oh, we call it the class of influencers. Of, oh, influencers. Wow, that's pretty. And, but he had all these influencers doing everything he said. Absolute obedience. And I thought, man, this is a great example of what it means to be a biblical follower. To, be a, to, to follow that leadership, be part of this team. And when they were all done, they put their hands together after they'd been exercising for an hour, totally sweaty, and they just yelled out together, finished, and lifted their hands up and gave a big hoot and a holler because they'd completed the task together. See, God would eventually make Joshua the leader of Israel. Be patient for God's will and God's time. Numbers 27, it says this, And Moses did as the Lord commanded. He took Joshua and made him stand before Eleazar, the priest, and the whole congregation. And he laid hands on Joshua and commissioned him as the Lord directed through Moses. See, Joshua's time was coming, but for 40 years he was a faithful follower. I want to challenge me, and I want to challenge all of us to be faithful followers, to be part of a ministry team, to be part of a church in which all of us are working together. And yes, the word of God is the ultimate authority and we guard what the Bible says and we are always watching our actions and our beliefs and checking them through the authority of God's word. But we are together in this, that God has established leaders in our church, in our ministries, uh, maybe in parachurch organizations, and you will go there and be this faithful follower like Joshua. And one day, God will ultimately give you more and more responsibility, just like he did here with Joshua. Because Joshua would lead two million Israelites into the promised land where Moses was not allowed to go and conquer the land by God's power. See, missing the when is as big a deal as missing the what that God wants you to do. Joshua could have said 20 years earlier, hey, the people are rebelling against Moses, I'm going to take over. 
God would not have blessed it. He would have failed as a leader. But Joshua's day was coming. He was willing to wait for the when. Wait for the time that it was to happen. And by the way, missing the when is as big a deal as missing the who that this is all for. Hey, Joshua, if you had usurped Moses' leadership and rebelled, you would have been disobeying the God that you're serving, ultimately. And obviously, that's much more important. Amen, church? Amen. Let's bow our hearts in prayer before the Lord. Lord, I thank you for Joshua's leadership. But we know that came after 40 years of being an amazing follower. And Lord, I know that you were preparing him for the position that you would give him to ultimately conquer the land that you had promised for the Israelites. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be great followers. Not only a great follower of you, Jesus, but when we're in a ministry together with others, that we would be part of a team in a way that honors you, that we would join together and be the biblical followers that you've called us to be so that we can honor you more effectively. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together and sing this song.